I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Je vole sous le soleil Sans toi, rien n'est pareil Je vole sous ton ciel je vole sous les nuages Tu allais, c'était bagage Je vole sous un toit Même si tes bras sont Hello travellers, francophiles and the adventurous at heart. My name is Tegan Higginbotham and over the past four episodes we've chatted with some incredible guests about why we love France and why some people struggle on their first trip to Paris. We've discussed the myth of the French woman and touched a little on language and thank you so much to everyone who has listened and gotten in contact so far, especially to all the wonderful people who have subscribed to the show and left a review. I honestly, I really wasn't expecting many people to listen so... Oh, guys, you're going to make me cry. This week, we're going to get touristy and take a walk around some of Paris's most popular tourist attractions together. It'll be like one of those interactive tours, but with fewer historical facts and far more swearing, because there's still a lot about visiting Paris that we've yet to explore. But before we get into that, we're going to start by chatting about what could have been one of the biggest mistakes of my life. Welcome to Rue Marc. I can see all our names. Yes, your names are all on there. I can see arrive. Yes. Depart. Yep, where are you arriving? Heathrow. Yes. Uh-huh. That was the sound of my mum and dad finding out that they would be travelling overseas for the very first time in their lives. Well, my mum emigrated out to Australia when she was 12, so technically she had been to another country, but she couldn't remember it. And she and dad had been on a week-long cruise before that, But a floating RSL doesn't count as overseas travel as far as I'm concerned. So a big trip like going to the UK and France? Well, the surprise hit them like a ton of bricks. And mum literally had to exit the room to compose herself over a gin and tonic. If you've had the pleasure of meeting Ma and Pa Higginbotham, they are delightful. They really are. But they're, I don't know, what would you say? They're country bumpkins, you know. Paul calls them wombles, okay? Like the last time I was helping mum with her phone, I mentioned that she'd have to sink it and after seeing a particularly concerning glint in her eye, I really felt the need to point out that I didn't mean submerging it in water. And my dad is great. He's really wonderful. But to give you an idea about my dad, he does a lot of driving, right? And this one time when driving home from Mildura, which is in rural Victoria, he saw one of these signs warning people against the dangers of microsleep, which is that thing, you know, you're driving, you fall asleep for a second and you die. Now, basically, this sign just said, microsleep, it'll kill you in seconds. And my dad lost his shit. And I know what you're thinking. It's microsleep. Just have a coffee, have a power nap, you'll be fine. But what I should mention is that my dad is slightly dyslexic, so he misread the sign. And instead of thinking that he was being warned against the dangers of micro-sleep, 
he thought he was being warned against the dangers of micro-sheep and spent the rest of the journey freaking the f*** out about the army of tiny, tiny sheep on a murderous rampage. So I got this call from him asking me if they've reached the cities yet. And I was like, Dad, Dad, this is ridiculous. What are you talking about, small sheep? And he's like, not small sheep, Tegan. Micro-sheep. But don't let that fool you. Because according to the sign I've just seen, these bastards can kill you in seconds. So travel was a magnificently intimidating concept for my parents. And I figured that the best way to help them deal with that was by making sure we ticked all the boxes, you know? After all, Benjamin Franklin famously said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. But at the same time, I now realise that Benjamin Franklin probably never flew across the world with his sodding parents, so the saying doesn't mean shit. In my parents' defence, the first hiccup we encountered wasn't actually their fault. You see, we were all due to leave Melbourne a couple of days before Christmas, and my mum had made it clear that she was going to need someone holding her hand through every stage of check-in, customs and security, because even the idea of facing all of that was scary. But at the 11th hour, I got called up to Sydney to shoot a Christmas episode of Whovians, so I'd no longer be flying with my mum and dad. I'd have to meet them in Doha instead. So Paul, who hadn't spent a lot of time with them before this, had to go it alone with Ma and Pa Higginbotham. Apparently they did quite well. I mean, Paul's eye hasn't stopped twitching since, but we got there. And just on flying overseas, here's a couple of things that I've picked up. You usually get fed about an hour into a long-haul flight, so don't feel the need to eat much in the international terminal. Also, it can be slightly overwhelming getting through customs with all the excitement, the multiple bags in hand, the glowing allure of duty-free. But just keep an eye on your passport. You'll be asked to present it to some surly security officer on more than one occasion, so consciously put it back somewhere where you know it can't fall out or get stolen from each and every time. At Brisbane Airport alone, they find over 60 passports per month that don't get reunited with visitors. Also, taking a photocopy of your passport with you probably isn't the worst idea in the world either. I know it's a bit mumsy, but accidents do happen. I'm a big fan of making your suitcase instantly recognisable as well. For example, the last time I went overseas, I covered my suitcase in Toy Story stickers, which may have seemed ridiculous at the time, but when you're trying to peek over the line of d- Head tourists who've crowded the conveyor belt carrying everyone else's belongings, you want to be out of there quick. And with regards to suitcases, here's another thing. I've also heard a few people suggest splitting your luggage if you're traveling with a friend or a partner. So instead of loading all your stuff into one case and your companion's stuff into another, you divide the luggage between the two. This means that if one person's bag gets temporarily lost en route, you're not stuck in Europe with zero clothes. Now, to this day, I haven't actually had any luggage go missing, but I I know that it does happen. And one more thing with your luggage. If you're going long distance, this is so boring, but please make sure you double check that your luggage is being transferred to the next flight for you. Most airlines will take care of this, but occasionally you're expected to go to the baggage area, collect your luggage and check it in again manually. And if you don't do this, your bag gets left in LAX or Sydney or somewhere f***ing annoying and it's the worst. I met mum, dad and Paul at Doha under that weird, messed up teddy bear thing, Qatar travellers, you know what I'm talking about, and we took the final leg to London. And it was in a cab from Heathrow to Notting Hill that the Higginbothams experienced issue number two. Dad lost his phone. 
Now, it had fallen out from his pocket and in the end, we did track it down and three days later, the lovely cabbie brought it back. But what it did mean is that the following morning, at about 5.30am and struggling with jet lag, I awoke to find my mother sitting in the kitchen of our Airbnb, a look of concern on her face. I was like, hey mum, what's happening? She said, your father's gone for a walk. I was like, okay, that's strange. Uh, Do you know when he left? And she said, no. I was like, all right, does he have the keys so we can get back into the building? She said, no. I was like, all right, good, this is helpful. Did he take maybe your phone so we can give him a quick call? No, he hasn't done that. All right, did he write down the address? Because I know he hasn't been in London very long, just so he can find his way back. And of course he hadn't. So guess what? Dad was missing in London. And it was at this point I realised that taking my parents overseas was a massive f***ing mistake and I shouldn't have done it. Paul and I threw on our coats and on the morning of Christmas Eve, we ran out onto the chilly streets of London to find Dad. Fortunately, about half an hour later, we heard, Oh, g'day! And we found him having a grand old time just looking around at all the architecture. And after that, we had a very serious conversation about not splitting up and things got a little bit better. Now that day, once we'd all recovered, we had a really wonderful time shopping for food at the Portobello markets for Christmas Day, checking out the lights on Carnaby Street and listening to carol singers. Honestly, if you can go to London at Christmas time, do it. They get it so right. It is magical over there. Australia sucks at Christmas. We really do. You know what I did this year with my niece? I drove her around a paddock on a tractor while someone squirted us with a hose because we were so goddamn hot. Now, I'm not saying that was terrible, but give me Christmas trees in every window and high tea at the Dorchester any day. Then at the end of our first long day in London, we got home, tired, exhausted and ready for bed at four o'clock in the afternoon. First time travellers, jet lag is the worst. Now I've heard that getting ample vitamin D is one of the better ways to combat this, but if like us you've just travelled to say London in the winter, there's a chance you won't be seeing the sun for quite a while. Melatonin has been suggested as a means of combating jet lag or trying to regulate your sleep en route to your final destination. But personally, I'd just say that you should simply try and avoid throttling yourself during those first couple of days if you can. Keep naps in the daytime if you have to have them nice and short and try to push your bedtime to a reasonable hour so you don't wake up the next morning at 2am rearing to go. But if you also have any tips or tricks that have worked for you, please let me know. Head to the Rulermark discussion group via my Facebook page to join in the conversation. So the Higginbothams were in London for a little bit of time, but you know what? This is Rulermark the podcast, not Baker Street the podcast. So let's hop on the Eurostar and get our butts over the channel. The Eurostar, which is definitely not a steam train, is a high-speed passenger rail service that links London with various European cities via the Channel Tunnel. The London to Paris trip takes approximately 2 hours and 15 minutes and tickets cost approximately €50 one way, but you can get them cheaper if you book in advance. Also, the train goes really fast and it makes me super happy. Welcome, you've just arrived in Paris. Now, whether you flew in direct via Charles de Gaulle, arrived via Eurostar at Gare du Nord, or dug your way in from Belgium via one of their new chocolate tunnels, there are a few things you'll be trying to get your head around first. Like, how do I get to my accommodation? Where can I get money? And why do I smell we? First of all, transport. And Paris does have Uber, and I would recommend using this if you're across the technology. 
I've only jumped in a cab a couple of times in Paris and I found them to be very, very expensive. In fact, I think I got ripped off, maybe. It's hard to tell when you don't have a lot of context, but at least with Uber, you can get an estimate of the fare up front. Or you can hop straight onto another train, which I will point out again are not steam trains. There's a train from the airport to the city. Now, personally, I've never travelled on it before, but my in-depth research, (coughs) Google, shows me that it takes between 30 to 50 minutes to reach central Paris and costs approximately $17 Australian, or €10.30. There are two different types of trains in Paris. First, you have the RER trains or the regional trains. So think V-Line or Trainlink, that kind of thing. They'll get your places like the airport to Versailles to Disneyland. Or you have the metro trains, your typical inner city rail service. And even though Paris Metro may look overwhelming on a map, it's actually really, really simple to navigate. Just follow the colours. Honestly, I wish everything in life was like that. Oh, what's that? You you need me to operate on this patient. Is he colour-coded? Ah, wonderful. When you head down to the Paris Metro, you'll see easy-to-use ticket machines where you can either get single passes or buy bundles of 10 for about $22 Australian. And I tend to do the latter because you will go through them very, very quickly. Also, just a little bit of a warning. The first time I arrived in Paris on the Eurostar, I encountered a woman trying to scam me literally within the station. She told me that she couldn't read English, so she asked me to read out a letter she'd been given. Now, the point was that while I was meant to be distracted with this letter, I was being pickpocketed, right? Now, fortunately, though, I'd heard about this in advance, so I bumbled my way out of the interaction. Also, I can't read. So, Tegan 1, Scary Lady 0. You'll probably have heard about similar schemes at play in Paris. Uh, There is the person who claims to have found a ring on the ground and then they try to give it to you. Then, whoops, would you like to give me some money for it? There's the guys who tie the friendship bracelets onto you after offering you a hand to shake. People who ask you to sign a petition, then ask for a donation to the cause. It's, it's all really, really uncomfortable. Now, my deal is that I don't like to be rude, even if someone is literally trying to rob me. So I found putting on your best French accent and saying a polite but firm no often worked. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. And just one other little small thing. The police in Paris carry guns. And I don't mean little whippity-boo, we're going to shoot your guns. I mean massive, oh, you think you're Colin Farrell in SWAT kind of guns. Now, we don't see that in Australia, so it can be really weird. So I'm just telling you so you don't freak out. So you've checked in at your accommodation. Now, you may have booked a hotel, an Airbnb, or searched on a site such as the Plum Guide or Paris for Rent, whatever floats your boat. But now you want to head out. Assuming you're not at a hotel and breakfast isn't included, your first port of call is going to be Nomtown. You need food. One of the interesting things I discovered when travelling with my parents was that Paris likes to sleep in. You see, my mum and dad are the type who really value making good time, you know? Like as a family, if we were travelling from, say, Sydney to the Blue Mountains, it was important for my dad that we got up early, beat the traffic and made good time. Was there anything to see in the Blue Mountains? Not particularly. 
I mean, the three sisters are nice and there's Katumba, which is, you know, there. But that wasn't the point, Tegan. It was about proving you could get there fast. Now, my parents and I stayed in Saint-Germain-du-Prix, a stone's throw from Notre Dame. And time and time again, we'd get up at 7am on the dot and head out looking for coffee and bakeries and crepe vendors. But they are not open at that time of the morning. So take it from me, sleep in, okay? Paris is a nighttime city. Most cafes in Paris will offer petit déjeuner for breakfast. Déjeuner. Déjeuner? De- yeah, déjeuner. Ignore that. Basically, it translates as small lunch. And usually, it consists of a hot drink of choice, an orange or an apple juice, and then baguette or croissant. And I seem to recall this costing somewhere in the vicinity of 7 to 8 euros, you know, like 11 to 14 dollars, something like that. For lunch, travel blogger Anne Verhoeven recommends always looking at the plat du jour, or the plate of the day, if you're after really good prices for food. These will often be on display on a chalkboard at the front of the restaurant. And here's another thing about the food in Paris. Do try snails, if you're so inclined. I've had them a few times and they're basically just like little garlic parcels with the texture of chicken. They're quite nice. That said, I haven't tried frog's legs. In fact, now that I think of it, I haven't even seen them on offer anywhere. Has anybody else tried frog's legs? I'm genuinely curious. Let me know what they're like. Also, just another couple of quick restaurant notes. Things take a little bit longer in Paris restaurants, so leave a little bit of extra time if you're having a sit-down meal. It isn't expected that you tip in Paris, but I've been told that the locals do what many people in Australia already do as well, which is they round up. If you missed it in our language episode, calling a waiter garçon is no longer okay, okay? It means boy, and it is not appropriate. Just say s'il vous plaît if you need help. I also didn't find the food to be crazy expensive in Paris. In fact, some things like bread, cheese, fresh fruit and veg can actually be really, really cheap. But just be careful with ordering, say, a cappuccino. See, the French don't drink cappuccino, so they know this is purely a tourist thing, and therefore it costs heaps, like five euros, okay? That's eight dollars Australian. I will forgo my foam for that amount of money. Once you're fed and watered, you'll probably be wondering what to do with your big day in Paris. Now, I got some great advice from guests in episode two about how best to enjoy your time in Paris. And a lot of that just came down to not overfilling your days and leaving plenty of time to walk or buy a cheap bottle of red and go sit by the Seine. But in between all of that, you are going to want to see some of the touristy stuff. You just are. So let's chat about some of the bigger attractions. My mum celebrated her birthday while in Paris, and to mark the occasion, I decided to send her on a journey to the centre of the earth. Which sounds like I killed her. I didn't. But basically, she's a Jules Verne fan, and I thought it'd be cute to recreate his famous book in a day out in Paris. Naturally, if you're journeying to the centre of the earth, you've got to go down. So mum's first stop was the catacombs. The catacombs are underground tunnels in Paris, which hold the remains of more than six million people. They're fascinating, confronting and well worth a visit. But one important thing to know beforehand, the line to get in can be monstrous, as in three hours or longer. So this is one place in Paris where you do actually want to get in early, more so in the summer months. Once inside, there are lots of steps. What, in Paris? I know, I'm crazy, right? And very, very small spaces. So just be aware because getting out the way you came is near impossible. Also, you don't exit the catacombs remotely near where you entered. So expect to come out feeling a little bit disorientated. 
After the catacombs, it was time to take a long stroll to visit the Jules Verne restaurant at the Eiffel Tower. Now, the sad thing about the Eiffel Tower is that due to terrorism, goddamn terrorism, there are now big fences around the bottom, which means that everyone who wants to go up must first filter through a rigorous security check. So once again, the lines can get pretty long. Now, you can go halfway up the tower if you want or all the way to the top, and the view is, is really good. It is very, very good. But personally, I find the tower far more impactful from afar, and I left it until my third visit to Paris before I even bothered going up. Now, I'm not saying this to put you off. It's just that I know a lot of people who have spent half a day waiting in lines to climb up the tower, and I just think that this time could be better spent elsewhere. But that's just me. After seeing the Eiffel Tower, it was time for Mum to continue her Jules Verne journey by seeing a bunch of dinosaurs. So we headed to the National Museum of Natural History in the 13th arrondissement. But because I'm a butthead, I forgot to check opening hours and therefore I didn't see that the museum is closed on a Tuesday. Which leads me to another really important note. Most Parisian attractions are closed on Mondays, Tuesdays or both. And a lot of shops close on Sundays. So just make sure you keep that in mind when plotting out your itinerary. But let's get back to our big day out in Paris and check out some of the other popular tourist attractions. Like the Louvre. Now here's the important thing about the Louvre. There are over 380,000 objects and 35,000 works of art on display at the Louvre. So forget the notion that you're going to see it all in one day because you absolutely won't and you'll be miserable if you try. Take it slow, wear comfortable shoes, don't take photos of everything and leave when you're ready. It will be there next time. Now, once again, <laughs> you'll hear me say this a lot, but getting in, especially if it's summer, can take a while. But instead of entering via the pyramid entrance, just like the big old Da Vinci Code fan you are, try the Porte de Richelieu, the Porte de Lyon, or the Carousel entrance. They're not always open, but if they are, you can get in so much quicker. There are several other museums close by that are well worth a look, including the Rangerie and the Musée d'Orsay. And if you are thinking of doing a lot of these attractions in a few days, look into getting the Paris Museum Pass. You can choose two, four or six day passes that can save you a lot of money, plus a little bit of time by avoiding having to queue for tickets. So we've just come out of the Louvre. So why not take a walk through the picturesque Jardin de Tuileries, through one of the major public squares in Paris, the Place de Concorde, the Place de, Place de la Concorde, Oh, that's terrible pronunciation. I'm moving on. And along the Champs-Élysées. But what's that? We're not having a great time. And I'm not surprised. Because it turns out that the long street dubbed by locals as La Plus Belle Avenue du Monde, or the world's most beautiful avenue, ain't that great. It's just lots of shops, but not even particularly French shops, like just stuff you expect to see in every country. And it's just a bit, it's, it's a bit much of that touristy stuff that isn't great. But at the far end you will see the towering Arc de Triomphe, and that is wonderful. You can grab a ticket to climb to the top of the Arc de Triomphe, and it is worth doing, not only to observe the beautiful, intricate architecture and the stunning views of Paris, but to watch the cars navigate the infamous five-lane roundabout that encircles it at the bottom. 
12 boulevards of traffic and thousands of cars converge into this playpen of mayhem. And watching it honestly makes for some of the best entertainment in Paris. I sat up there for well over an hour with mum and dad and we had the best time. We went back again when it was nighttime because in the distance we could see the Eiffel Tower twinkling and it was so beautiful. Watching cars nearly smash into each other. Honestly, take some food up there. Best night out in Paris. If you've managed to fit all of this into your first day, first of all, you're a time wizard, and second of all, you must be exhausted by now. Still, let's see if we can squeeze in just a little bit more. When in Paris, go see churches, as many as you can. But most notable, go and see the Sacré-Cœur, which overlooks Paris from atop Montmartre, and Notre-Dame. Both places are magnificent. However, I can say that the Sacré-Cœur is one of the only places on earth where I've experienced the sensation of losing time. Well, there was that and when I tried to watch the last season of House of Cards because, Jesus, that was shit. But seriously, the Sacré-Cœur is, is magical. Go see it. The glittering sun is setting over the Seine. That's a sentence. And I'm afraid that visiting hours are over. But I'm hoping that whilst in Paris, you still make time to visit Disneyland. Now, I'm tempted to do a whole episode on Disneyland. Let me know, listener, if you think that's a good idea. But for now, all I will say is please don't be a boring adult. Go to Disneyland. At the end of your day in Paris, it's time to settle yourself into a small cafe or maybe go and grab some falafel in Le Marais and relax. I know we didn't get around to doing everything, But I do hope that if you haven't visited Paris before, you have a slightly better idea of what you can expect. And before I go, I just wanted to get back to the issue of why I think Paris smells a little bit, sometimes, not everywhere, but a little bit, like we. In episode two, I mentioned that there aren't many public toilets in Paris. And this is partly why Paris, in certain places, especially on a Saturday morning, can smell a little bit funky. Because there's nowhere to go. However, I also had a few people getting in contact to ask what exactly I meant when I said that you have to pay to use the public toilets in Paris. Well, I meant just that. In some places, you are required to hand over roughly one euro or so to get in. But this money isn't for nothing. It's to pay for the man or woman who remains in the toilet area, guarding it and making sure it stays nice and tidy, which sounds lovely in theory. But I didn't like it one bit. Because I like alone bathroom time. That's what I like. Completely isolated from all humanity if I could muster it. And I don't think that's unreasonable. For example, I was shopping the other day, as you do, and I've noticed that if you're in a public toilet, right, and the person in the cubicle next to you accidentally farts, and then you laugh, they never come out. Trust me, Take a book with you. You could kill a guy, right? Well, do me a favor, okay? Swap the scenario. So you're in the public toilet and you've got to get your business done, okay? Number two is you've got to get your business done, but you don't want to make a lot of noise. Why? Because you're a normal human being, but that someone else comes in. So what do you do? What do you do? You do the first thing that I reckon that we all do, and that is that you half fill the toilet bowl with toilet paper. You half fill it with toilet paper, as I like to say, you prepare the crash mat. And then you do the next thing that we all do, and that is that you wait. Because you know that eventually that other person, they're going to use the hand dryer. And once they do, you know you've got 15 seconds max, okay? 15 seconds to get it all done. Number ones, number twos, tax returns, just get it out. 
Or you can do what I overheard an unfortunate woman trying to do once at the MCG. I was in the big public toilets there and she uh, clearly had a lot to get done and she was trying to mask her number twos with strategic coughing sounds. But the problem was she had absolutely no rhythm so it just sounded like this. (coughs) Oh no. I ended on a fart joke, guys. God damn it. Look, next week I'll be chatting with a whole raft of incredible guests about getting out of Paris and seeing the rest of France. It's going to be a really beautiful episode, no fart jokes, I promise you. But for now, I'd like to thank Paul Verhoeven for his incredible work on the edit, Laure Brier for her wonderful opening song, and Derek at Castaway Studios. If you'd like to get in contact, feel free to reach out via Instagram, the Rulermark Discussion Group, or via the website rulermark.com. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do. I would really appreciate it. One last thing. Clearly, this episode was all about helping people navigate some of the touristy aspects of Paris, especially those who haven't visited before. So just in case you didn't get the joke, I I don't want to confuse anybody. You know that bit where I mentioned that you can get to Paris via Charles de Gaulle, the Eurostar at Gare du Nord, or by digging your way in from Belgium via one of their new chocolate tunnels? I was kidding, okay? I was joking. There are no trains into Paris. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.